Welcome to the Director Download, powered by Campus Rec Magazine. It's time to go behind the curtain of the director role and have honest discussions with leaders in the campus recreation industry. Host, Grady Sheffield, the Director of Campus Recreation at Towson University and the Senior Advisor to the Campus Rec Mastermind Groups, gives you, the listener, real and authentic conversation between himself and special guest, Stephen Trotter, the Director of Wellbeing at East Carolina University and the founder of Globetrotter Wellness Solutions. His story starts as he set out to study pharmacy in college, but Trotter soon discovered campus rec along the way. As he fell in love with teaching fitness classes and gained more and more responsibility, Trotter soon found himself deep in the industry. However, burnout eventually hit. As such, he shares what the twists and turns his life took to get him where he is today, heading up well-being at ECU's forward-thinking campus while running his own consulting company. And in it all, his goal is to equip people with the tools so they too can be wildly successful. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Director's Download. I'm Grady Sheffield, your host, and I also serve as the director at Towson University. And today I'm excited because I have our guest, Stephen Trotter, here with us from ECU. And this is Stephen Trotter, not Steve Trotter, not to be confused with Steve Trotter, the youngest person to have gone over Niagara Falls in a barrel, correct? Am I correct in that? That is correct. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen, um, why don't we start out by you giving us a little bit of background um, and tell our listeners who you are and kind of your story and how you got to your position here at East Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. Um, and it's great chatting with you, as always. My name is Stephen Trotter. I, I currently serve as the Director of Wellbeing at East Carolina University, uh, often called ECU. And I also um, still run a consulting company, Globetrotter Wellness Solutions. And I teach as a part-time adjunct faculty member at another college in their health and fitness sciences. So if you're wondering, like, oh, does he have three jobs? Yes, I technically have three jobs. Um, and then that's like the, the point of the movie, right? Then you figure out, like, well, how the hell did we get here? Um, so... <laughs> I actually kind of got my start in health and well-being. I grew up um, and, you know, as we do what we want to be when we grow up. And I really wanted to go to college for pharmacy school. I wanted to be a doctor of pharmacy. And honestly, I was motivated by money. And I thought that's what I needed to do. Um, we and at this, yeah. And at the same time, like I ended up, I grew up a really overweight and obese kid. And, you know, as you struggle throughout going through the K-12 system and just kind of figuring out who you are. I ended up losing about 130 pounds between my sophomore and senior year of high school. Wow. So, and the reason I say that is I went from like one extreme to the other and kind of started adopting some addictive exercise behavior, restricted eating. And I found it was like something in my life that I had total control over. And then I became obsessive with that. And, you know, it was running constantly, um, and then, I mean, one of the good things uh, that came out of that is I really found who I was meant to be. And I, I actually started teaching cycling. I was a spin instructor as a senior in high school, um, which was like, you know, and I was doing some internships in pharmacy and I was like, I really don't like these internships in pharmacy, but I love teaching spin classes. So that was like my first green flag that like, maybe I should pursue <laughs> this as a career. And I was a first generation college student and, you know, I went to college and I struggled with how to college. I didn't know how to, you know, and honestly, I, I graduated high school with a 4.4 GPA. I walked 12 or I walked 11 in my class 
And my first two years of college, I was on and off academic probation all the time because I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how I didn't know how to college. And I was still driving towards this like pharmacy goal. And I was doing whatever I needed to take to get into whatever classes that I needed to get into pharmacy school. And I realized quickly that I was not for pharmacy and pharmacy was not for me. Um, and so I was actually hired at my undergrad. I went to um, University of North Carolina at Charlotte and got ended up getting my bachelor's of exercise science there, bachelor of science in exercise science, and really kind of found my way um, at Charlotte. And, you know, I was actually hired at freshman orientation <laughs> as a spin instructor. And I met my mentor, Sophia Marshall, who's the director of um, the Center for Wellness Promotion at Charlotte now. And I walked up and I was like, hey, do y'all have like spin classes here? And she's like, yeah, why? Do you teach? And I yep. said, yeah. She goes, boy, you got a job. That's and right. so <laughs> I was hired. So my, I moved in early. I go through training and I'm like teaching spin classes the first day of freshman year. And I realized very quickly. And the reason I say that it's like all these opportunities kind of came up. And Sophia was like, we were starting to put the schedule together for spring. And she was like, oh, yeah, you're like, you're only going to teach one cycle class because it's time for you to start teaching other things. And I was like, oh, I'm a spin instructor. She's like, no, you're not. You're teaching all things. And um, I started teaching all things. And then in the second semester, started personal training. And I worked with clients from like post rehab to I did a stint for a while working with Miss North Carolina contestants. And I was training um, uh, quite a few Miss North Carolina contestants for the Miss USA, uh, sorry, the Miss America uh, line back then when they were two separate divisions. And so I kind of found my way, found a pathway that I like doing. And I really liked the management piece, which kind of fell into, I got put in a supervisor position. And then my last two and a half years of college, because of some staff turnover, I actually moved into like a part-time um, hourly wage employee for the university while I was finishing my degree. And, and I really found that managing fitness programs and managing kind of health and well-being was what was like really filling my bucket. And part of that is because I was already working at the university, I was ineligible to do an internship at the university, which was required for to graduate uh, with my degree. So I went and um, did an internship for a semester at another college outside of the city of Charlotte at Wingate University. It's a smaller private university and work there and, um, you know, kind of implemented their first ever group fitness instructor training program. Um, and it was part of like a student union and rec program at the time. So I was reporting to the director and um, just kind of doing all the things. And when I was, I knew I wanted to get my graduate degree, but I'd had work experience and I'd kind of worked in the health club side too when I was in college. And I wasn't necessarily looking to go be a GA somewhere because I didn't want to you know, I, I needed for, in my opinion, I needed the grad degree because it was a checkbox and I was more passionate about the work that I do than getting what the degree is. So I interviewed for a couple like full-time jobs where I could work on my graduate degree while I was working and then ended up kind of the stars align. And I say that a lot because I'm, I'm like total woo-woo, like there's crystals all in my house and I believe the universe always has your back and all that <laughs> stuff. And I'm into, you know, you'll have to, well, We'll, we'll come back to that later. later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I ended up going, accepting a graduate assistantship at Virginia Tech and uh, was getting my master's in health promotion, which then was master's of science and health and phys ed is what they called it. And uh, 
due to, again, some leadership changes, my supervisor at the time kind of left abruptly a couple months in, and I had already had work experience. So I moved into um, the full-time role. So I ended up working as a fitness coordinator at Virginia Tech for four years. Um, and right as I was kind of coming to that end of the four year, I was doing a lot of large event management and exploring all the things. And that's really where I got more connected with outside world of like ACE. Um, and I had, I have, you know, as far as certifications, I was an ACE group fitness instructor, personal trainer, health coach, and a medical exercise specialist. And then because of my undergrad, I'm a certified exercise physiologist uh, with ACSM because you actually were required to get it or you couldn't graduate. Um, so you had to sit for that exam before you could graduate. So um, that kind of led me to my involvement with ACE. And so I was actually brought on to the industry advisory panel and I represented all university rack and wellness programs for about three and a half years on their industry advisory panel from around the globe. Uh, so I traveled and did a lot with ACE there which really got me more connected to that outside world. And one of the things that I really enjoyed in my time at Virginia Tech was getting to do, be a part of an expansion planning process and designing a spin studio. Um, and, you know, I think that that stands out. My colleague, Dave Schuster and I, when we were able to like design that spin studio, kind of to fight the architect's vision of it needs to blend in with a building. And we're like, no, it needs to stick out. Like, you know, and that's kind of where I'm coming from the mindset of we have an opportunity to create a space that's an escape from the outside world. And when people walk through our doors on our campuses or even in a health club or wherever it is that we're providing services, when people walk into our space, it's an opportunity for them to escape reality or escape the outside world. And that allows us to transform them. So we are adamant about creating the space with the lights and the, you know, the cameras and the the black lights and creating it. So when you walked into that spin studio, it felt like you were walking into another world. Right. Um, and I had the opportunity to um, end up moving back to North Carolina down to the beach. And I worked at UNC Wilmington for a couple of years. And part of that was to do the expansion, which was 110,000 square foot expansion. So I was able to manage that kind of project, um, you know, really drive fitness and wellness forward at the campus as the university was under rapid growth. And it was kind of cool to, you know, build that much onto a building and be a part of that process. And I remember my first day on the job there, I was given a set of keys and a hard hat and walked out to a construction site. And I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, and so I spent some time there and opening that building was, it was like, nostalgic whenever you open a new building as you know you have done <laughs> before and it's like the camera crews are there you have sunglasses on because you haven't slept in three days and you're yeah. you know in the floor on a like, year yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> pretty much i was trying to you know minimize yeah. the situation uh <laughs> and i'm like in a suit and of course it's at the beach so i'm in a seersucker suit on the floor scrubbing glue that was still coming up from the floor from the floor being put yeah. down before the ribbon is cut and then the camera crews walk in and you're like i'm alive whatever however much coffee i've had today it's going to keep me alive for the next few hours um but that was a really good opportunity and at the time i was starting to dabbled more and more into the outside world of things. And um, I ended up then becoming a subject matter expert for ACE. So um, doing some curriculum work and also credentialing work um, in the fitness industry and wellness industry around exam development, kind of all the things. And um, I had interviewed with a couple of outside companies and a couple of fitness companies. And that's right about the time that like Les Mills was forming one conglomerate into the U.S. And I was actually kind of interviewing for a job in the East Coast office. And then that's when they were kind of merging 
into full one Les Mills US office. And so um, at the same time I was kind of interviewing with Les Mills, I was exploring going back to Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech offered me a job that I couldn't turn down. And so I went back to Tech a second time and I, I told a friend. With, give us a, a year. What time is this? Uh, this was 2014. Okay, 2014. So, yeah, so I went back to Virginia Tech. Um, so I, I took a lateral move, which is something that I said I would never do. But technically, job title-wise, it was a lateral move. But, you know, you get things out of it. Um, so I, at the same time, I was doing more and more outside stuff. And I was running CEC workshops, which are continued education workshops. And um, in my time at Virginia Tech, I was able to work there about three more additional years. And for me, like when I left Wilmington, I told a friend of mine that I was like, hey, give me three years. I'm going back. I need to get some things done. And then like I'm coming back to Wilmington and we're opening a business. And um, so I was strategically never sold my house and I still had a house down in Wilmington down by the beach. And like I was like being strategic at all the same time, allowing opportunities kind of come to me. And so um, I happened to meet somebody from the IDEA Health and Fitness uh, Association at a conference like around 2015, right? It was 2014 and got connected with IDEA and was asked to present at the IDEA World Convention wow. in 2016. And so what I was finding is that like I was becoming good at the stuff that we're not taught in college, which is like, you know, most of us get exercise science sport manager or whatever and you're most of us don't have mbas or you know a lot of us don't have degrees in business but the more you move up the quote-unquote corporate ladder the more you're running a business and managing people then you're doing you know what your expertise is in and i became very good at that um and i noticed that there was a gap in our industry for people who felt comfortable managing the business side and especially in the fitness and wellness side you know, for a lot of people, you had to make that decision at either I'm either going to be fine staying where I am and I'll pull in additional income elsewhere, or I'm going to have to make a decision to move out of the industry and go to the you know commercial or corporate side, or I'm going to have to maybe give up what I love and what got me into this field to go higher up where I can make more money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I did a presentation at Idea World on the business of small group training and kind of like the business management of it. And I was meeting with some mentors of mine out in the industry, like when we were having coffee. And I was like, I'm just not like, like the, I don't know, probably around 2016 is really where maybe I had the highest level of anxiety and depression where I was just like, not like I am struggling. Like, I, I don't know what like I'm doing like in the world you know, like what my purpose is. I'm not feeling my purpose anymore. And I could do my job with my eyes closed. And I was going out traveling a lot, doing these consulting gigs. And like the, like the, the lull, the, the lull set in when I was flying back home to do my actual full-time job. <laughs> and that's really why I say that, like, I was trying to find out who I was meant to be. And, you know, towards the end of that year, like it was like the end of 2016, uh, it was New Year's Day. Like I woke up New Year's Day morning and I like looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, I'm quitting my job. And um, so I like when I was traveling for the hey, holidays. So hang on. I, tell, tell us more about that epiphany. Yeah. Right? So you said that to yourself. I had like, like immediately like a, after you said that. It was a really bad dream that I had like on New Year's Eve. And I've always been like a very, very like huge fan. Like New Year's is one of my favorite holidays and not because I like totally buy into the New Year's resolutions, but it's more of like, 
it's an opportunity for people to reset and refresh. Okay. And I just had a really, really bad dream that night. And I woke up in like a cold sweat and I just like said to myself, I was like, I'm quitting my job. It's like, it, it hit me that instant that I knew what I needed to do. And so, um, like I, when I got back to Virginia, I, you know, I honestly, I went into my bathroom and I took like an expo marker and I wrote goals on my bathroom mirror, like large scale goals. And I wrote like $10,000 at the top because I knew that that's what I needed to have in the bank account and savings to be able to quit, at least for me, to be able to quit my job and right. like be okay with it. And then um, I wrote down cities and I wrote Atlanta, Wilmington and San Diego because I was like, I need to be in a, you know, Wilmington already have property there. Atlanta, major airport, major hub, San Diego, place I love. Um yeah. Kind no need saturated. To right. <laughs> like, and I'm like sitting there thinking, like, saturated in our industry, a little bit more scary, so forth, whatever. And so I actually started driving Uber to help make the money. And I was teaching all this time. I was also teaching in the academic classroom. Um, at Virginia Tech, it was part of my job. Uh, at Wilmington, it was an additional job that I had on campus. And I was also teaching at community college. So <clears throat> Between that, I was able to like, I hit the 10,000 mark and I like had, like I secretly like went to Charlotte one weekend, had a professional photo shoot done um, because I was getting these things in place and I was building a website and no one knew about it. And it's like, I went to Wilmington for spring break in March of 2017 because I needed to do a couple things in my house because I had some tenants moving out and a friend of mine her and her husband were building a house and it wasn't going to be done until June and they needed like a three month rental. So like where I go back to the universe, all these things are kind of aligning. And I was like, I can flip this house for you to move into it and you can stay there until June and that will give me time to move back. And so I like, I remember I went to the Starbucks at Mayfair in Wilmington by Wrightsville Beach and I like was sitting there looking at my laptop and I just hit publish and the website went live and like things just kind of went nuts. It, it felt good, scary, but also a sigh of relief. And then the amount of like support that was like rolling out of it was like, like unbelievable. Right. And I felt like I kind of joked when I say like, I quit my job before it was cool to quit your job. Like, you know, during the last two years of the great resignation or reimagination, whatever we call it. And I had more and more like colleagues and, you know, even mentors reaching out to me, asking me like what it took for me to make that decision. Cause I felt a lot of us were feeling the same way. And like, as I'm going through all of this, I'm like my passion for mental health and well-being was continuing to get more and more. And so um, right about that time, actually a month or two earlier, I had started the collegiate fitness directors kind of community group on Facebook, which was Again, one of those efforts, like, here's a space for us to talk, like, business and talk coaching, people management, the things that, like, we don't necessarily get in our roles. And <clears throat> that continued to increase. And, like, now we've got, like, 600 active members in it because it really it almost doubled in size during COVID. Right. Um, hey, can we – I want to hit pause for a minute because yeah. I think it's worth noting. Everything that you just talked about, first of all, talk about – when opportunity knocks, somebody's going to take it that you are the definition of that, which I think is, is inspiring and a little scary, right? With all the things that you had to do or you chose to do. And I'm wondering where it's great to hear. I can hear the passion and how excited you were, but was there any doubt? Was there any self doubt? 
you know, oh, yeah. you hit the publish and, and then also before you answer that, the other thing is I, I'm sitting here listening to you and everything you're talking about, this is happening in 2017 and it mirrors a lot of what has happened post COVID for people. Right. Right. Which I think is where you started to go with that. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about the doubt. The doubt was what if there are like, you know, an approach of like, what if I fail? And, you know, I like also, and because I do a lot of like motivational speaking and stuff like that, I was having to like tell myself the things that I tell other people because I was like, you know, like, yeah, like what if I fall or like, what if I fell? Like, you know, but what if I fly? It's like what I would ask myself. And like, you know, there was self-doubt of like, am, am I really going to be able to do this? Or what if people are like, who are you to do this? Or what if there, I become like the outsider, the quote unquote black sheep at that point where like I that stick happened. out and no, no, no questions. Like, who are you? Like, no. Yeah. And, and I think I have to play to my, in my strengths and I'm big on Gallup. And part of that is like oh, I'm yeah. a Gallup certified coach. So that's part of my consulting business. You're and, woo, right? Yeah. You're and woo. I have self, I have self-assurance, which is like one of the least common to appear in someone's top five. Oh. Um, and so I have to like be in the, I don't know. And I guess I will always put, put in situations where I had to figure things out. Like, you know, when I think about like, I like started my own health and well-being journey and I had to figure it out. Like I didn't work with a trainer or anything. And then I go to college as a first gen college student and I had to figure it out. And there were falls along the way, but I was always like, okay, well, if this didn't work, let's try this now. And then I was like, okay, this works really well. So I'm going to keep doing that. And then I would get put in these management positions where we were so understaffed. And I mean, hell, this was like 2005. And I'm having to essentially fill the role of like, at one point for a while, I was reporting to the director of rec as an undergrad um, while I was finishing my degree because I was having to manage personal training, group fitness, fitness centers and everything and train people and still finish my degree. So I had to like figure things out as I went. So I guess I had enough like past history that I could tell myself, like, you can, you can do this. And I will say that part of my doubt is almost, I didn't quite trust myself because and then a lot of people, even the people who know me don't know this about me as I actually had a second business that I ended up shutting down. Um, because I, and I, what I told people, even when I left my job, I told them my main focus was to go open up uh, like a private fitness center and it was going to be a mobile fitness center. And that was where my friend and business partner came into play. And so there was Globetrotter Wellness Solutions. And then there was actually also Globetrotter Fitness, which was a separate business. Mm-hmm. And like I had it as like, I'll tell people about Globetrotter Fitness and I'll tell people about Globetrotter Wellness Solutions. But I was like, I was leaning on like Globetrotter Fitness was the safe thing to do, right? Like anybody could go start a brick and mortar. Yeah. And well, the traveling thing was big at that point too. Right. right. Yeah. And so like, and we were going to get like an old U-Haul or like a FedEx truck and yeah. like turn it into a mobile fitness. Mobile, and, yeah. yeah. And go into neighborhoods and stuff. And we did some things with apartment complexes but the consulting actually took off. Mm. And um, as soon as I moved back to Wilmington, I got a call from one of the local colleges that was basically like, hey, I heard you move back to town. Are you interested in teaching here? And so I um, ended up teaching, started teaching as an adjunct there. And I still, to this day, teach as an adjunct 
uh, no, at Coastal Carolina at Community Coastal. College. It's it's over by Camp Lejeune, so it's a lot of military students, and which is another passion of mine. And again, three weeks in, one of the other adjuncts had a medical emergency and had to leave, and I had experience in teaching the classes that she was teaching. Sure. So they're like, can we write you a temp contract? You won't have to go full-time. You won't be a permanent employee, but can you teach a full course load? So I ended up teaching... I think six or seven classes that semester and launching the business. So it became this thing where I would literally, it was an hour commute from my house to the college to base. I taught off base. And on like Thursdays, I would like, I would be done with teaching at three. I would drive home and go straight to the airport and fly somewhere to run like a strategic planning workshop or a Gallup session, disc, whatever it may be. And then things got back to quote unquote normal where I would only teach in person two days a week. Then I'd work from home and I was starting to do business development for some fitness companies in the industry, some of the vendors to do sales and marketing strategy for them. Um, So, and you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. And like, I was still teaching at the health club in town, worked out daily, had a social life. Okay. And I think that's part of like why, I do. I am the way I am as I focus on effectiveness, not efficiency. And I'm all about elimination, automation, and then delegation. So I try to automate as much as possible. And I joke around and people like joke with me because like, I'm like, oh, I only stay at Marriott's and only fly American. But like part of that was literally when that was my life, I had to rely on my phone. And I knew if I was like flying all over North America, that A, if I got in trouble, if I was a loyal customer, to both of those, they would take care of me. And that B, I could always look at my phone and tell me exactly where I needed to be and where I needed to be. And so I just used like systems to help me be able to do this. Um, And then I, I started bringing in some of my former student employees and just colleagues in the industry to help with consulting. And, you know, for a while it was like, right when I started, it was me, Will Trent, who works at Virginia Tech again now and over marketing and Alicia Everett now Lunsford. And, you know, we kind of all were the the three that really launched the business forward. And, um, you know, we, between writing, publishing, traveling, presenting, and we, that's, when we kind of formed and we decided in 2019 to host our first in-person like collegiate fitness director summit, which was a smaller, it was meant to be like a smaller intensive, like the learning opportunity. So it was like going through what later become, I wrote a, my first article for campus rec magazine was the four P's of your campus rec business. And that's really kind of what I framed all of my mm-hmm. um, stuff like business on. Um, <clears throat> and so, which then like, has really kind of framed everything and writing some curriculums. And it's led me to the opportunity where I just essentially, I guess I can say that now, but I landed a book deal. Um, so I'm about to be writing a textbook uh, that will be on the shelves in January of 24, hopefully That's awesome. um, Good for on you. fitness facility management. So thanks. Um, so all of this was kind of happening and like right at early, like, I don't know, end of 2018, I saw the opportunity come open at ECU and like my, the reason I say like all of this is when I originally quit my job in 2017, I said, I would never work for like, I would never be a W2 employee again for a university. Like I love the freedom of working and being my own boss. And I was like, never, like I was tainted and like I was tarnished from working inside of the campus rec industry. This episode is brought to you by campus rec mastermind groups. 
These groups are created as a space for executive directors and directors to present questions and challenges you are faced with in your position so you can leverage the power of your peers to help you succeed. It's a leadership accountability group that provides immediate professional development based on your specific challenges as a leader. Interested in learning more? Email Heather at peakmedia.com, peak spelled P-E-A-K-E. And like it had really done some damage to me personally, like physically, like it was just like. So it, talk about that a little bit more. Like you don't have to go into specifics, but like, yeah. what, what do you mean by that? Overworked, underpaid, and just like I was trained to not see that there were things better on the outside. Mm. And it was just like, this is what you do. And it was kind of that old school mentality that we don't have as much anymore. But it was like, you pay your dues. This is what you do. Um, blood, sweat, and tears. You do it for the passion. You don't, you know, you do it for the love of the work, not the paycheck. I'm like, honey, love of the work doesn't pay the bills. Give me the paycheck. Um, and it's like, I just got to the point where I wasn't like, I dreaded going to work. Like I hated it. And I was like, I became that person where I was like, this is awful. Like everything, like I've become like everything, anything that anybody could say to me, I was like, I couldn't even stand to be around like anything work related um, because I had just like, I had hit burnout way early on. Mm -hmm. And because I was doing all these other things, I knew that there was life better like on the, and part of that was me figuring out what my purpose is and not just falling into like, you know, clearly I'm very like all over the place because I believe that, you know, you throw the rope across a river, the rope isn't going to lay in a flat line. It's going to like move with the waters. And I've always been that type of person, which is not necessarily traditional approach to things. And so at, at some point there's like self-doubt. I'm like, am I the odd one here? Like, am I the weird one? That's not like, like getting it and everyone else is. And so when part of that is like, when I found that I could go help other people and hearing this other struggles, that directors or AVPs or vice presidents were bringing me in. And, you know, I like, like I went into a couple organizations and I remember going into an organization to do a strategic planning session. And I was literally told before I walked in that somebody in the room was about to be fired and they didn't know it yet, but I knew as the facilitator coming. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this life that I'm living in? And um, it's like, I found my passion for helping other people. And it, it goes back to my mission my personal mission, I believe my why is to take people to a place that they can't get on their own. And I'm a firm believer that you are to fall in love with your with your why, not your how. And you should never fall in love with your job because your job will not love you back. It's an inanimate object. It's not supposed to love you back. And if we think that our job is going to love us back, that's our problem, not the organization's problem, because we have set up false expectations for what we expect our job to do. And the job is just a how and not the why. You should fall in love with your why because that's why you exist. And that's kind of how I've operated on. Um, so I say that like when the opportunity come open at EC, I was like, well, you know, like if I were to put my toe back in the water, it would be for this position. I just um, Yeah, that was like my, yeah, that was my whole, whole foot. <laughs> yeah, whole body. Um, and so I kind of toyed around with it and I almost like, I wasn't going to apply. And a friend of mine was like, you would need to at least apply. And then I applied and I was like, I think I might withdraw my application. And my friend was like, do not withdraw your application. Don't shut a door before you know what's behind it. And I was like, good point. You know, I'm all about opportunities. So I'm not going to shut a door before I even see what's behind the door. And um, I 
and I knew Willie Ailing is the senior director and he was the director of campus rec and wellness. Now he's, now he's the senior director and I've known him since I was an undergrad and he's always been kind of a mentor of mine. So I, I knew that he was progressive and I knew if I were going to go to work for an organization. Um, and when I, I interviewed and even when I met with the AVP, the VP, we had breakfast and, you know, the transparency, I was like, okay, this seems like a progressive organization, even from the top. And I remember the VP telling me, I was like, you know, we were chatting at breakfast and our chancellor resigned the day before, um, you know, and she's like, well, you know, my boss left yesterday, so I'm not quite sure what's happening. And I was also told that the entire well-being area wellness at the time had been mass evacuated for various reasons. People had left, people were transferred. Um, so it was my job to really come in and rebuild a team of 12 people. And I was told up front that there were going to be a target on my back. Like I knew coming into this that there were bridges that had been burned um, just with relationships on campus and just like very, I knew there were going to be challenges coming into it. And I think part of that was like, well, I'm not above a challenge. And if I don't really? like it, I, I still have a business. So it was almost like it was the first time when I interviewed somewhere where I was like, I don't need this job. So I was, I wasn't. I truly was who I was and had the what you see is what you get mentality. I'm like, when you see me in an interview, this is how I act on a daily basis, you know? And I think that security of like, I don't need this job. I've got a job. I've got two jobs. And, you know, I went into it with more open mind. And I was like, I think I'm going to do this. Um, and so in true Stephen Trotter fashion, I, the first year I worked here, I actually still lived in Wilmington, which is about an hour and 45 minutes away down the coast some, and just got a crash pad that I would stay a couple nights a week. And um, my dog, Roxy, she passed away last year, but at the time, like we, um, I'd had her since she was nine months old and we would drive up Monday, I'd put her in daycare, we'd stay in the crash pad a couple nights, drive home to the beach on the weekends. And, um, and so, all that being said, like there were challenges from the business side of things because in my second year of business, Hurricane Florence hit and I had to evacuate for two weeks. Uh, when I evacuated Wilmington, Wilmington is a peninsula for those of you not familiar with it, but Wilmington became an island. Um, all the roads shut down. They were underwater, not passable. And I couldn't get to my I couldn't get home for like two weeks. Um, and so when we did get home, the roof was damaged, livable, but damaged. So I was able to quickly replace the roof um, pretty quickly compared to most people because I knew a contractor in town that I had a personal relationship with. And I knew at some point the house was going to have to be remodeled. Again, it was livable, but it needed new floor, walls needed to be repaired, ceiling. And so I ended up, you know, in 2020, January 2020, Hurricane Lord what October or September of 2018. And I finally got clearance to start the repair of the inside of the house in January of 2020. And so I was like, well, yeah, I was like, and then the mail lost the insurance check, which was great. They almost got a lien put on my house and it became this big ordeal. Um, and so the, we ended up getting everything done. I was like, well, I've already got to move all this stuff out. I'm in the car 10 hours a week. I don't want to be in the car 10 hours a week. Let's sell it and I'll buy a place closer like to Greenville to where ECU is. And so I did. And of course the universe had its way of telling me that I should not sell the house and I should not buy a house. And literally to the point, and I know this sounds crazy, but it's very on brand for me. I went into my house one weekend when it was like under, like when it was up for sale and I 
literally told my house I release you because I thought that somehow this house like had some weird like attachment to me and I was like I've tried everything else and the stuff that was happening like somebody used a fake identity try to drive off by my house and there were all kinds of like insane things that you can't you cannot make this up and so I literally went to the house and I was like if you have some attachment to me I'm releasing you and ended up selling the house and then the day I closed on my house was March 31st 2020 when we really saw what shut down. So I went from being in the car 10 hours a week to not being in the car at all because I didn't even drive from my new house to my office at either of the locations. Steven, (laughs) I think you have more in common with the Stephen Trotter that successfully went through Niagara Falls in a barrel than maybe you're alluding to because I mean, that, that guy succeeded in that. And you, your story that you just told is, I mean, obviously it happened, right? But that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Everything that you have been through and have come out to where you are today. And I think that's awesome. I commend you for that. And man, you've said some stuff that I wanted to touch on, you know, after you, after you told us about yourself and, and that's with Globetrotter Wellness. And I was going to ask you, I, I have in my notes, like the mission, your mission is to take people on a place they can't go on their own. Right. And you said that people need to fall in love with the why, not the, not the how in terms of their job. And I was going to ask you, what is, what does that, what does that mean or look like for you in terms of carrying out that mission? And you kind of touched on that. So I want to go back a little bit. Um, and I, I wrote down that, um, when you were talking about how you wanted to, you said you were never going to go back and work in campus rec or higher ed and you, you wanted to get out and there were some things that happened to you that gave you just negative feelings. You're not the only person that says that, you know, I, in fact, I say that sometimes, you know, in the role that I play and I've heard other people, do you think that do you think people, when they, professionals get to a point that they feel trapped, trapped in our field? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there can be, I mean, I remember like having to give my own self a pep talk when I called my parents to tell them I was going to quit my job and move. And like, you know, I'm like, I'm an adult, I support myself. But, you know, when you're telling your parents that you're like, I'm quitting my job to start a business and that's not in the like world that they grew up in where they grew up in the world where you get a job and you stay in the job until you retire. So there's like that, like personal, like what I'm, what is my family? What is my friends? What are the people I'm around going to think? But then there's also like, you know, especially in some of the state systems Mm -hmm. where if you've been in there long enough at the time, you've gotten benefits that are so good that you're willing to stay, whether it's yeah. Like healthcare for life, a pension when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like it's at the point where you, you make decisions. And that's why I say when you fall in love with your why, because if you're not fulfilled, if your sole purpose of a job is a paycheck, that's okay. As long as you're doing it well and you're doing it to what you're supposed, you know, you're meeting the standards, but as long as your purpose is being fulfilled from the outside, whether it's hobbies, family, like whatever, as long as your bucket's getting filled, then you're still going to be fine. But there are some like real reasons why. And then there's also the mentality of like, you think of, like I've done, this is all I know. I don't know what else I would do. And I'm afraid to go from an expert in an area to having to take an entry-level job in corporate 
that may pay me more than I make now in my role. But just the, what does that look like if I go from like a director to, uh, you know, a, a tech analyst or whatever that may be, solutions consultant or, you know, customer, some customer support specialist. But again, you take that initial step because they'll promote you quicker than anybody else. Uh, so there are real reasons why there are barriers that exist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate your honesty and sharing that. So getting back to Globetrotter Wellness, which by the way, awesome name, right? I see what you did there. We all did there. <laughs> um, so I think I think the answer to the question, what is it, what does this mean or look like? Is like you said, fall in love with the why, not the how. And that's what you push people to do from a wellness standpoint, right? It doesn't matter what what everybody's anybody's why is. It's helping them helping them continue to get, do it or get there if they can't get there on their own which right. is kind of your story although you did get there on your own so you're you kind of have the the background knowledge expertise real life experience to be able to coach somebody on that so well done for you but i want to ask how does this idea impact the work you do at ecu i think it and somebody said this to me one time a mentor of mine this is kind of like my experience. I don't want to say experiential learning lab, but it's my lab that it's my lab that I can show the things that I tell people to do actually work, mm -hmm. which has traditionally been a non-traditional approach to the work that we do in higher ed. And I'll even say to, you know, at ECU, we're a pretty large organization. I mean, we have multiple camp. We have two physical campuses located in the city of Greenville How many in January 2020. Uh, we have right about 28,000 total, okay. about 20,000 under full-time undergrad. Right. Uh, but we have a health sciences campus. We have a main campus. We opened an Outer Banks campus on the water like in January, 2020. And we, we have a, a educational building out there, but we've done some partnerships with the YMCA and stuff like that for all the things, health and well-being. Then we had ECU online, which is even before COVID had like 8,000 online students in it. So we had a pretty robust, and then we had our, in May, our hospital system has officially adopted the ECU Health name. And so all the Vidant hospitals in Eastern North Carolina are now ECU Health facilities. They still operate as a separate technically entity, but it's a clinical integration. Um, so the reason I bring that up is with the work that we do in health and well-being, we serve all the populations. And so when I first got here and, you know, we had people coming from in, on our team coming from Disney, coming from corporate, coming from small organizations, large organizations, because we had to assemble this team quickly. And so we, the first thing I kind of spearheaded was implemented like a communication plan of how, when, where, why, and what we're going to communicate because we have, we're not always in an office together. We already had flexible kind of work environments because we have to be in different locations and we service all the populations, both from the student side, but also the employee side. So we support, um, we provide some support for employee health and well-being too. And so we, you know, I was already used to doing Slack and Google and all this stuff. And, you know, so we were, we adopted teams pretty quickly and showed that, you don't need to be at a computer in your office all day long. And as the, the population is changing, it's like, you know, people use the excuse of, well, we're a student facing business. I'm like, okay, well, when's the last time a student only want to talk to you from eight to five in your office, get over yourself. Like they want to know, they want you when they want it, how they want you and where they want it, which is in their hands at whatever time they want the information. And so we kind of frame that mindset, which honestly helped us once COVID hit is we were, you know, as a university, we're more progressive than most when it comes to, the work world. 
I would say, but our department kind of led a lot of that initiatives because we are already having to operate in this kind of environment. So obviously, A, you can't predict COVID and B, like you, you know, the, all the things that happened like right off the bat, like we, after that initial shock, we already had systems in place that we could do our jobs. Um, so I think that that was, you know, I had enough experience from the consulting world where I could be in California in one day and then fly to Texas the next day and then be in Chicago the next day and then go to Canada the weekend. Like I knew this way of work could work. And so we were able to adopt it. And I guess that goes back to your question of like, this is this is an opportunity for me to show that we can be progressive in our industry, especially for those who refuse to look outside of the commercial and corporate world who have been doing this for years. Yeah, yeah. So I want to talk more about uh, the structure and the dynamic of your role at ECU. And you mentioned that Willie was very progressive when he wanted the idea of bringing on um, a director of well-being and it being part of Campus Rec. And you just talked about how it's not only student-focused, but it's staff and faculty-focused, which is huge, right? Most It seems like a lot of our well-being um, initiatives now within our field stick to the student side. Um, we, we talk maybe about faculty staff well-being, but not as much, and not as much as maybe we should. So what are some of the challenges um, with your structure and being, I mean, if you look at your website, you're under Campus Rec, but I think you have a whole team, you operate separate from Campus Rec, but it looks like you have fitness that falls underneath you as well. So what are some of the challenges or how does the partnership with rec impact your initiatives yeah so to kind of give the two second backstory is ecu was probably one of the first probably at least the first three and this was you know from the previous director who retired i mean she was having conversations in the 80s with the chancellor at the time about this wellness thing with with what does wellness look like so ecu was really one of the first at least the first three colleges to truly merge campus rec and campus wellness into one organization um and then willie got here in 2016 and, you know, with the role of what my role looks like is fitness, the like, so fitness programs and fitness centers kind of report up through me. Um, and I have a senior assistant director who manages that and also manages employee well-being. Um, and then I have a senior assistant director for well-being who manages really like alcohol and other drugs, sexual health, healthy relationships, bystander intervention, violence prevention, um, mental health and stress management, nutrition and body image. Um, what am I missing here? Uh, oh, yeah, and the movement and exercise, obviously, and then overall well-being. And then we also do the Gallup piece, too, because I'm a Gallup coach. Um, and so with that, we're kind of that holistically well-being approach. And then about 50 percent of my job is to chair this well-being collective, which the best way to describe it is it's a spider web of stakeholders and subject matter experts related to well-being on all of our campuses and divisions. So including administration, athletics, health sciences, ECU physicians, and so forth. Um, so it's really to be able to be, I'm like the, the glue that holds everyone together so we can move forward and make a recommendation of what university or what a unified message around well-being is. So we've been able to do some, you know, cool things like develop a university specific well-being website. Um, we launched well-being coaching. We, you know, we were, we just started a campaign called You Matter ECU around mental health and well-being. We're pushing out mental health first aid right now. So we've been able to accomplish a lot. Uh, some challenges that kind of come with it is 
if you're not in it, sometimes it doesn't make sense to people, you know, like especially in a traditional campus rec world, or I might talk to another director who are there like, wait, what, what do you do? Like, mm -hmm. hold on, this reports to you? I'm like, yes. <laughs> or even like, you know, our partners were like Les Mills or whatever, the CEO of Les Mills is like, wait, you're in charge of sexual health too? And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so it doesn't, it doesn't look, it's not easy, clean for someone to see for people who like to see an org chart and they don't like dotted lines and they, they don't like the spider web concert. Um, also working with that many people, you're having to get a lot of people with different personality types and who bring their own things to the table, um, whether it's their own agenda or own backstories around health and well-being. And then also, you know, one of the first things I learned quickly was people on the change spectrum are one far you know, as far as from each other, where I remember our first collective meeting, you know, I, you know, shifting the mindset from a consultant where I go into an organization, I'm like, here's what you should be doing. Here's a plan to do it. I have to think of myself, I, in this role, I'm not a consultant because we have to do this together. Because for one, if I come in and say, this is what we should do, let's do it, then I'm going to be doing it alone and people aren't bought in or they don't have ownership of it. Right. Um, so I say that because I remember that first meeting, I had somebody who was like, oh, this is awesome. We should do it. Get a brand, develop it. Let's go. And, you know, somebody may be on the opposite side of the change index where they're like, I am like, what are we doing? And so it's navigating those waters have been some challenges. But for one thing, taking it to the approach of we're not here to take away your role. We're not here to take your job away. We're here to support you. And really approaching it as our number one goal is relationships. And honestly, my first six months of working here at ECU, I felt like I spent most of my time in Starbucks meeting with people. Um, and like, I remember I knew a faculty member did not like me, did not like any of my team and didn't know anything about us, but came in with a mindset. That I knew this was one of the people who would have the target on my back. And we went to Starbucks one day and I fortunately had an Auburn sticker on my car because I've done some work down there and my best friend's a professor at Auburn. And that immediately removed one of the barriers. And he's like, so I see you have an Auburn sticker on your car. And I was like, yeah. And so like our, like our, our guard started to less a little bit. Yeah. And I just like, it's hard to hate people that you know, or to not want to work with somebody that you know personally. And so I, I spent so much time and even in our onboarding now, we've got a couple new people because the collegiate recovery program reports to us too, which I, that's newer over this last year. And our onboarding is like, go meet with these people and have coffee with them just to get to know them. And so what has helped those challenges is A, focusing on relationships and B, taking the approach of how can we help? Like we're here to help you. We're not here to take away because if we all work collectively together, we're going to get further to like create this environment where people can thrive, both from the student aspect and the, the faculty aspect. And, you know, there, there's challenges like it's complex from the back end, which, you know, because we have, might have faculty and staff might have this service for counseling or there's this is a third party system for teletherapy or, you know, there's but that's our job to do. And as long as the end user, it doesn't disrupt their experience. It's a complex ecosystem. And as long as we do that well, then that creates that world class experience for the student or the faculty and staff, which is what we're ultimately going for. Yeah, that's awesome. You you're talking about that story about Auburn sticker and meeting with that professor um, reminds me there's a book called fierce conversations and i think it's written by susan yeah. brown and her whole point is the relationship is the conversation and i think for what you're saying there is that it took in order to build a relationship you had a conversation and part of that was just something 
unique to get you talking, right? Auburn, and you were able to go for that. That's awesome. Um, so I was going to ask you what makes well-being at EC unique, but I think you already touched on that a little bit. Obviously, the structure, the work that you're so doing, where you are. The structure. And I'll say one more thing. We did a master plan in 2019, um, which was starting to be a rec and wellness master plan. And one unique thing that we did is we invited other partners. Like we brought athletics in. We brought health services. We brought ECU physicians. We brought counseling. We brought we brought the community groups. We brought Parks and Rec in because, and it turned into this entire health and well-being master plan that one of the key priorities is we need a four-story health and well-being building to really service the needs of our population and the health and well-being bringing an integrated space in together. So we have this hub of activity from the main campus student center to the, you know, our Aiken Student Rec Center on main campus and building this. So there's a lot of things that kind of have come out of it. You know, there's challenges obviously around funding, personnel, um, and real estate itself. But I think operating from an opportunistic mindset of our approach, which may be considered unique, is we look at it as there is money to be had in health and well-being. And there are people who are willing to donate to be a part of the progressive movement. You got to know who to go to. You got to know how to talk to them. And you've got to be okay with, you know, changing your approach to match the approach of the person that you're talking to. And that's something that I think, you know, and we presented to the board of trustees, to chancellor's cabinet, to executive council on health and well-being, which not every university, a lot of people are still trying to fight for why they should exist. And we're not having to do that. Like, I think everyone knows why health and well-being exists. Our uniqueness may be that we're just all trying to figure out how we can progress it forward with the current funding. Yeah, that's a good point. I think sometimes we get campus rec, right? We get pigeonholed in. It's the campus rec way, and that's the only way uh, to do things. Um, so what impact has your position had on ECU since um, coming out of the pandemic? I think we are needed more now than ever. We were needed before, but the amount of like just requests and interactions, we have become the, we have become the trusted partner um, where we have found ways to use a systems approach to automate things, to operationalize things. And we're now being asked from other folks and other departments to help them or either to roll it through a process that we already have. So we're becoming the go-to person or the go-to team for all the things um, related to kind of health and well-being in the sense of like, how do we progress forward? Um, and also I would say that, you know, it's, we, we proved that during the pandemic that we can still progress forward by doing the various things that we did. And so people are willing and able and they want to work with us. Um, and, you know, just last year alone, we had, you know, like on-demand workshops where we'll go out and do workshops around health and well-being or events programs I mean, we did 350 different workshops to 12,000 people last year because wow. our approach is to go to captive audiences instead of us creating stuff and getting them to come to us. We go to people, we we meet people where they are physically. Right. Um, and we, we almost see ourselves as we have become the quote unquote corporate wellness company per se for campus, if that makes sense. Like we are the that makes total uh, sense. Yeah. third party that comes in and helps whether it's departments, schools, organizations, and we provide the service to them. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, last last question, kind of close this out. What's next for well-being at ECU? 
and our industry. What's next for well-being at ECU? There's a lot of change coming, opportunities coming with leadership changes. We have a relatively new chancellor um, who is fantastic. You know, well-being is already a part of our university's mission and, you know, goals and stuff. So I think we're set up for success. What is next for ECU well-being is I can, man I'm, I'm manifesting this four-story health and well-being building, and I'm manifesting that the funding is going to start coming in right. um, to help us support that. Um Awesome. If if well-being was wildly successful, um, and here's here's the thing about well-being at ECU, we know that we cannot eliminate every barrier that a student or a faculty staff has. That that's not our goal. We're not going to. Um, that's not our goal. Our number one goal is to provide tools and resources to help students, faculty, and staff progress towards or realize their goals regardless of those obstacles. And that's what we mainly are trying to create an environment where people can thrive. We know we can't not remove every barrier. We'll do what we can, but our goal is to equip people with the tools where they can be wildly successful themselves. Um, as far as what's next for health and well-being in our industry is it's going to be an ecosystem that has to interact on the back end. Um, E-commerce does this well of creating that uh, approach, you know, you get it yourself, you watch Hulu, YouTube, whatever, and you only see ads that are appropriate for you. That's how, that's how people want to live their life a lot of times. And we've got to start creating not only that multi-channel approach, but we have to build an ecosystem that is an omni-channel approach. And, you know, there's already progression moving forward around virtual reality, augmented reality, and, you know, artificial intelligence. And that's what's next for us as an industry and we have to we have to blend our content expertise with the content experts who can actually make these things happen. Um, and I think that's what's next for well-being as an industry. Wow, that's that's big, and uh, I think that's a whole nother podcast for us to have that conversation um, of how we get there, and then to follow up on it if we're successful in that. So. That's awesome, man. Steven, I can't thank you enough for the time today. What a story you told our listeners in terms of how you got to where you are and just the amount of success that you've been able to experience, I think is inspiring and certainly will play plays a role in what you're doing with Globetrotter Wellness and then definitely at ECU. So I appreciate your time and can't thank you enough. And I look forward to hearing all about where we're going at ECU with well-being in our industry with you helping lead the way. So kudos to you, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me.